Well, good evening. Thank you so much for being here. I told you that Blake was going to help me with this series. And this is one of those nights where we're going to do so. And next week, Blake has it on his own as he's going to talk about the mind maggot of pornography. So that'll be next Sunday night. And then the Sunday night after that, you've heard of the talk. We're going to have the talk. And uh, you'll be here to listen in on that. Um, he lets me on on all the fun sermons. Well, the running joke in the brotherhood is he is the expert on sexuality because I only have him on the podcast to talk about that. So pornography and sexuality. So he's been, he's been typecast. Um, I have. So I was going to start this way, Blake. We put together, or he put together some notes for this. And Thursday we sat in the office and we talked about this. And then we met at the coffee shop about two hours ago to just kind of look over it one more time, final thoughts and all that. And we kind of shifted gears, didn't we? Because yeah. you, were, you were a little bit frustrated with me after this morning's sermon. Tell the people what you're... Well, I was frustrated with you anyway, because, <laughs> <laughs> because we work together and you just have to be frustrated with people you work together. But I was frustrated with you anyway, because you gave me your first few sermons to look over. And, you know, so I was trying to prepare my notes and he covered everything. <laughs> In the first three, and so, so then that was annoying. And then this morning while he's preaching, it's like if we just changed the intro to your sermon and, and kind of reframed it, it's like everything that I wanted to talk about tonight. And so I, I don't know, I feel like Chris has already said it, and he's already said it better than I could, so maybe we could just talk about sports. And well, you know how I feel about sports. I mean, yeah. I fall asleep during basketball games. Yeah, that wouldn't go well. <laughs> no, it's funny because you brought that up and you, you said that. I had no idea. Right. When I did the sermon this morning, I had no idea that that would link to what we're talking about tonight. That was not even on my radar. Right. And, but as you were talking about it, when we were drinking coffee a while ago, I was like, you know, that's exactly right, is that's what our culture does. Yeah. And by the way, that's what we're looking at yeah. tonight is a biblical ethic versus our cultural ethic, yeah. because that's where the clash is. Mm -hmm. And the cultural ethic tries to do that. It tries to separate body from the inner person right. and and tries to make it all about, you know, how you feel and those kind of things. Right. Whereas the biblical ethic really is about the whole person, the whole body, your body's a temple, all that kind of stuff. Right. So elaborate on that a little bit. Um, what you said this morning <laughs> was, was everything. Um, we, uh, it, it, really, it really is interesting as you, as you look out in our culture. And, and I think that we see it even... Even within the church, it's not just the culture. I use the analogy a little bit of a, a, a fish in water. I mean, uh, the, the water is the only environment that the fish knows. And we can't necessarily remove ourselves from the culture that we're in. So I think we, we see that a lot of the ways that we view ourselves and that we think about ourselves and that we think about um, our spirituality and even our sexuality is very much influenced by by what the world says and how the world tells us that we should view ourselves. And so, while I really do feel like you've already made a strong case for what the biblical sexual ethic is. Yeah. I mean, you've made a strong case for why the biblical sexual ethic is good. But as we really start looking at what the culture tells us about sex, I mean, that's where we very quickly start backpedaling a little bit away from sexuality specifically and, and we start looking at some deeper, more foundational issues. Um, in fact, as we, as we look at, and, and probably a little bit later, we'll go through Romans chapter, chapter 1, but it presents sexuality as the symptom 
of an underlying problem. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. You, you, you said that today when we were talking about it, mm -hmm. that all the sexual issues that we have going on, mm -hmm. sexuality, transgenderism, all that, mm -hmm. that's the symptom. It is the symptom. That's not the problem. Tell us about what the problem is. Go ahead and jump into Romans 1. How about 1. we jump into Romans Ro chapter 1? Go to 1. Romans 1 if Open you have your, your Bibles. Open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 1. <clears throat> I've taught this uh, on this topic a lot with the teenagers, so they probably get sick of hearing from Romans chapter 1. I find myself in this, uh, in this section of, of Scripture a lot, and the, the reason that I find myself here is because I, I really do think it paints uh, such a clear picture of what we see happening all around us. And, and it's important for us to understand what is happening around us so that we can rightly frame the problem. And, and before you read that, I okay. think it's also important to set up Romans 1 because our culture will often say, well, the Bible is not against homosexuality. It never speaks out against homosexuality. And those six passages where it does, it's not talking about loving monogamous relationships between a man and a man and a woman and a woman. Mm -hmm. um, and we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. But what... What's failed to be taken into consideration in all that is the culture of the time, at the Romans especially, mm -hmm. not any different than now, probably worse or more perverse in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah. And there was, you know, um, all the barriers of sexuality were, were gone, right? right? And right. so it's, it's a failure to consider the context mm -hmm. when we act like, you know, that this was not a problem right. or that it was never discussed. Right. And plus the fact that there were a lot of things that Jesus didn't teach on. He didn't ever talk about bestiality or pornography or anything like that. So, right. um, but he talked about marriage. And so I think it's important to set the stage there is that this was definitely a problem in Paul's time in the first century and in Rome. And it's been a problem in every culture since. And, and there's, I mean, if you look historically, there's a cycle that's followed where, um, you know, a culture has a, an objective source of truth. And, and I would say for ours, Christianity was that for a long time. And then as we move away from this kind of, this, this idea, this objective sort of truth that, that roots our ethics in, in what is good, then the symptom that we see within those cultures is usually um, sexual in nature. Yeah. And that's, the, that's the, the picture that's presented in Romans chapter 1. So if y'all would bear with me, I think it's worth reading the whole thing. Um, yeah, I think it is If too. you're good with that. Yes. We're going to, not the whole chapter, we're going to start in verse um, 18 and, and kind of read, read to the end. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men 
and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. I'll go ahead and just stop there. Yeah. You know, a lot of times we read this passage, and I mean, it's very obviously talking about homosexuality. Um, but as we, as we really look at the context and look at the idea that he's trying to put out there, um, I mean, he starts off by saying, there's some obvious things. You, you talked about it in your sermon last week. There's just, we can just close this book for a second and observe. Look around you. The world around us, and, and we can see a, a lot of things about God and a lot of things about what it means to be human, and we can learn a lot of things about our sexuality and how our sexuality is supposed to function simply from science. Um, but, but anyway, so, so he starts by saying, hey, there's some evident, obvious things that have to be ignored for people to land where they are. But, but when they are ignored, what does God do? God says, okay, I'll let you. Mm-hmm. And, and the symptom of that, the way it manifests itself, is in sin. And, and oftentimes, one of the most um, visible and prevalent sins that you're going to find in a culture that has collectively turned their back on God is, is a degradation of their sexual ethics mm-hmm. and what they deem as okay. Now, the problem here in Romans, well, it certainly was a problem, but the problem was not homosexuality. Right. The problem is in verse 25. If you're going to highlight a verse, highlight verse 25. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. That's it. That's the problem. The truth of God for a lie. And that's really what we're looking at when we're trying to talk about biblical versus cultural sexual ethics. What do you believe is true? Um, and, And what do you worship? The creature or the creator? You know, all, all of this morning you were talking about uh, we're, not, we're not disembodied, we're not souls and spirits separated from one another. I mean, or sorry, bodies and spirits separated from another. You're, you're a soul. You're a, you're a human. You're a, you're a being that we're one. That's the, that's the biblical idea that is put forward. But our culture, um, starting laying the frame, framework hundreds of years ago, began to divorce this, this body from the spirit. And, and, and we began to build this, this idea that, that most of you believe. Uh, I, that's, that sounds, I'm, I'm shaking my finger at you. <laughs> so that, that I believe, um, that, that I believe that, that Blake is Blake's internal thoughts. The real me is not this, this skin that you see out here. It's this, this, this voice in my head when I lay my head on the pillow. And I, and I think the inner me, that's me. And the body is just this kind of peripheral thing that I have to learn to control. Yeah. Um, and, and that's from our culture. They, they have taught us to view ourselves that way. I don't believe that the... Yeah, it's not biblical. That, the Old Test, ...that those in the Old Testament or even a lot of cultures in that time viewed themselves that way. Right. Um, they, they didn't see their identity as separated from their body. But, but we live in a time where it has been. And not only has our identity been pulled out and separated from our body by a lot of thinkers, our, our identity has become sexualized. Most of you have, I mean, heard of the name Sigmund Freud, and, and he was probably key in, in making that happen. A lot of his findings have been discredited. But uh, 
he basically taught, and this ideology picked up, that these sexual feelings are something you have even from infancy. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he kind of extrapolated from that that, I mean, at your core, at your, at your core, you are a sexual being. Yeah. So we've divorced our, our, our self from our body. Then we've made ourselves sexual um, as the center part of our identity. And then we live in this world all of a sudden where technology has just made the options limitless about what we can be and where we can go and the things that we can see. Um, medicine has opened up a whole new world about the way that we can manage our health. And, and all of a sudden, we have all of these choices that people didn't have before. Yeah. So, I mean, you can grow up on the family farm and become an engineer. Um, you can grow up in the big city and move to the country and grow up in the country and move to the city. And, and so we began developing this idea of, man, we're really kind of plastic, fluid people. We're kind of like clay, and we can just mold ourselves into whatever we want to be. And then you put all of those pieces together, and it's like, well, I can be whatever I want to be. I am at my core a sexual being. That is really uh, takes precedence over my body. And all of a sudden you start seeing where our culture has been going. Now, now you start to understand why there's this, I mean, really this, this lesson moves us more towards the debate on transgenderism and gender identity yep. as much as it does, as, as it does, um, as it does anything, because, because that's really where our, our culture has landed us. And, and as Christians, I mean, we have a really big decision to make. I mean, do we believe that's true? I mean, do we believe that at our core, what it means to be a, a being is these thoughts that stream through the inside of your head? Or, or do you believe we are one with our body, that what we do with our body matters? Yeah. That God made your body purposefully and intentionally the way that it is, and that that was part of His design for you. Go back to Genesis chapter. I mean, I don't, you did a much better job of joining the <laughs> two this morning. I was just going to use one verse from Genesis chapter one, um, where, where it talked about, um, where it talked about when we were created, Genesis 1:27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Which is what we talked about a couple of weeks ago when we started this series. We actually went to 121 mm-hmm. as well in the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, do, do you believe that? Do you believe that yeah. in the beginning God created, that God put all this emotion, or do you, do you believe it was just an accident or by chance? And, and that's why we have two different ethics. That's why we have a biblical versus cultural ethic. But what we're trying to lay out is the reason why there's a difference, but also how we can unknowingly buy into the cultural ethic, mm-hmm. even though we're coming from a sincere and honest place. Right. And right. Uh, it's funny. I wish I could take credit that I meant to do that this morning, but I, did, I didn't. It's funny I was kind of annoyed with you, but now, <laughs> but it it turned out good. So okay, it, it turned out good. Um, I, I think it's I think it's really important that we we take pause and think about how we view Scripture. Um, yeah, I mean, it really is the the foundation for the ethic that we as Christians subscribe to. Um, and if we have a if we have a high view of Scripture 
then, then we have a foundation to lay these thought processes on. I mean, if God the Creator made you the way that you are, you know, I, I mean, if, if God made you in His own image as a male or female and gave you the task of, of ruling on this planet, of filling the earth and subduing it, then, then what does that mean? Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, what does that mean? It means something different than what the world says it means to be human. Right. Because Scripture I mean, does, not, does not tell us that sexuality is at the core of your identity. No, it doesn't. It, it's important. It's important. It's a part of your identity. Absolutely. It's a compositional part. But what is core to your identity is who you are in Christ. Absolutely. And the fact that you were made in the image of God. It's like mm-hmm. you, you, you put here individual realization is not central to happiness right. in Scripture. No, it's about denying self and following Jesus. That's what discipleship all of, is all about. In fact, I mean, we're studying Paul on Wednesday nights, but when you, you look at Paul, Paul says crazy things. <laughs> uh, I mean, like, he acts like suffering is somehow attached to the grace of God. Mm-hmm. Grace is supposed to be a gift. Yeah. But Paul, uh, well, Paul totally, Paul totally gets this. Paul had taken himself and removed himself from the equation and, and replaced it with Christ. Yeah. I mean, Paul's happiness no longer mattered. Uh, Paul's sense of personal fulfillment was no longer central in his life. Um, Paul had totally replaced that with something else. So, I mean, if anything, what our culture is calling for, we are called to deny. We yeah. are called to set aside. Um, we're called to pursue something totally different than self. Um, and I mean, that's a, that's a big contrast to the, to the battle cry of the world around us that says, that says to our kids, hey kids, you want to be something? You figure out who you are and you live it out. Like you, you, can, you, figure you, out, you can be yeah. anything you want to be, but, but you figure out who you are and you make the best of that. Because if you want to live a happy and fulfilled life, that's what's going to get you there. Mm-hmm. It's not what this book says. No, nope, not at all. Um, not even close. Which is interesting because I brought this book. I mentioned it a couple of times. It's called Gay and Christian by Guy Hammond. Guy Hammond is, uh, uh, lived a homosexual lifestyle, um, and, and he does a very good job in presenting that in this book. Um, he came to the realization one day that if he was going to be a Christian, if he was going to be a disciple, then he was going to have to disavow homosexuality, and he was going to have to, to choose to live a different life. And uh, he said, I was prepared to live celibate. He basically, I'm, I'm summarizing his words, paraphrasing, but basically, um, you know, I, I had to be willing to face the fact that I lived celibate for the rest of my life, but isn't that worth it compared to eternity? He ended up meeting a woman, and uh, he said, you know, I, I, to this day, I'm not attracted to women as much as I am to men. But he said, I, I met this woman. We, uh, we shared a deep personal connection emotionally. I told her from the front end all of my struggles and that I still have those struggles, that that seems to be the way I'm sort of oriented, right? And uh, they got married. Uh, they have two children. Uh, she passed away. Uh, he has been able to marry again and met another woman, and they have a very strong emotional bond. And, and he says, it sounds crazy. How can someone who is at his core feels like he's attracted to men 
have two marriages that have been successful and three children and, and all that. But he talks about how, you know, you've got to want this bad enough. You've got to want discipleship bad enough to change your life. And he said, I read through the scriptures and I just couldn't make it work uh, the way I was living. And we can talk more about that later. But if you get a chance to pick this up, um, Blake and I were talking about it's a little hard to find on Amazon. That may be on purpose. But um, Guy Hammond, Gay and Christian, uh, how pro-gay theology is crashing into the church like a speeding train without a whistle. So uh, really good book. It's not Amazon Prime, so you have it's to pay not, for shipping. Yeah, you have to pay for shipping. And you get some looks when you're carrying this around in the coffee shop. But yeah. anyway. I was a little embarrassed. I was a little embarrassed preparing for this lesson with that <laughs> book on the table between us. <laughs> Talk about... Talk about the ultimate lie, because I think that's important. Satan's ultimate lie. We're back in Genesis on that. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. You know, a lot of times we read this and and we look and we see God gave him a rule Satan stepped in and they broke it and that's and that's really kind of our takeaway that we get from from this passage but but if you really look if you really look at what Satan was saying to Eve when they were having this conversation I think you see the foundation of every lie that liar has ever told us yeah and and here's what it is when he said, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, going, knowing good and evil. Satan is telling Eve that God is holding something back from them. He's saying, I know God said that it's supposed to look this way and it's supposed to be this way, but I'm going to tell you, you take that fruit and you eat it because there is, a, there is a piece of reality that he is not giving you access to, and you're going to want it, and your life is going to be better if you have it. And ever since then, over and over and over again, he's been telling me the same lie, and you the same lie, and everyone in this room the same lie, and, and we, at our core, wrestle with it. Does God really want what's best for us? Or is there something that I can do that's going to make my life better. Yeah. You know, is, is that really what this whole book is about? Is, is God kind of laying out this picture of what it looks like to live a fulfilled, meaningful, happy, purposeful life? Um, well, it's or, interesting because, he's, you know, he basically says God doesn't want you to be like him, which that's ironic because God exactly wanted them to be like him. I mean, he made them in his image. He wanted what was best for them. Yeah. I, I mean, it really, it's like he's saying, you're missing out. I mean, teenagers, that's what you're told every day. At, well, we're all told. I keep pointing at y'all. I'm sorry. It's just the old youth ministry. Bad habits can't be broken. <laughs> but but y'all are just blasted with it all the time, and we are too. It's, it's this message from you're, you're missing out. Yeah. 
there's something that you're missing out. You, you, go, you go sit around all those people that church building and follow that book there, and let me just tell you, I mean, that's going to be all right, but you're going to make some serious concessions if that's what's happening. And that's just not true. I don't believe that at all. It, I believe that God created us, and I believe the Creator knows exactly what's best for His creation. And I even see hints, you know, even after all of, the, all of the sinning and God walking in, you go to the end of Genesis chapter mm-hmm. 3, and what do you see? God trying to do what's best for His people. I, I mean, verse 21, and the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin, and He clothed them. One of the first actions that God had for His people were, okay, you've made a pretty poor covering for yourself. Let me help. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's almost like, that's not going to work. Let me help. Let, let me cover. Let me, let me put an angel here and guard this entrance to the Garden of Eden so you can't ever get in here again and do something that now can't be undone. Right. Let me protect you. And, and all throughout Scripture, we see people rejecting God, saying, eh, we're missing out on something. And God just, okay. And he circles back around, and, and he tries to help. And he's, he is gracious, and he is patient, And even until today, he is patient, and all he wants is what is best for us. And we just push, and we push, and we push, Mm -hmm. because we believe the lie of Satan, and we think that maybe there's something better, and we're just going to taste and see. Yeah, what voice is going to be the loudest in your life? Yeah. I think too many of us uh, in our world are are listening to another voice than the one we should be listening to. I want to talk about, as we wrap up, our response, and with that, I was going to I have a, a couple of comments highlighted in the book. Uh, I was reading it this weekend. I didn't plan on inserting it, but after I read it this weekend, I thought, well, this makes a lot of sense. Um, so when you talk about response, this is what Guy Hammond says. He says, this is where we often go wrong when trying to convince people to say no to sin and yes to Jesus. We fail to recognize that what people have been turning to in order to have their needs met has been working. And I think that's what we fail to understand sometimes. We for, you know, maybe forget that you know, we were once in that predicament. But we talk about people struggling with sin. Some people don't struggle with sin. You know, sin's working for them. And uh, he says the problem with homosexuality is not that it doesn't work. It's that it doesn't work well enough. And then he goes on to say these words. He says, don't slam the sinful activities that they've involved themselves in or the fact that they are homosexual. Prove to them why Jesus will meet their needs in a much more fulfilling and satisfying manner. He says, once people understand how magnificent it is to follow God, only then will they be willing to switch products. He says, homosexuality gave me everything I wanted with everything I feared. Jesus gave me everything I needed with nothing to fear. Right. I think it's a really good way to put it. And he quotes, I know you love this quote, and the teens have probably heard it from you. I, mean, I use this quote a lot. Yeah, this, it's a great quote. This is from C.S. Lewis. If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Mud pies in a slum. Yeah versus a holiday at sea. Yeah. And I, I mean, I appreciate the perspective brought out in that because I think a lot of times I can get up here and wave my arms and point, point at the teens and, 
you know, and talk about how this other way of doing things is so broken. Mm-hmm. I mean, when the reality is people pursue that because they find some level of fulfillment in it. Yeah. That's the reason we all pursue the sin that we pursue. There's a sense of joy and a sense of escape. And, and I mean, there is a real pull there. There is. It feels like it works sometimes, but it's so incomplete. Yeah, like you said, it doesn't work well enough. It's it's nothing like what could be. Right. It's it's nothing like what God has planned for us. It's nothing like what God has prepared for us. Um, And so I I think seeing and understanding that is important. I also think, you know, we talked a lot about the cultural sexual ethics. We talked a lot about how we can't escape the culture that we're in. I, I mean. We see some of this um, identity issues, uh, I mean, even being brought into the church and us kind of separating the idea of a spirit from our body. And, you know, we may present it in a different way, but, you know, we kind of see ourselves as, you know, ultimately um, spirits with harps on the clouds. And, I mean, the reality is we're, we're connected to our body um, in a way that matters. I mean, Paul says, you're not your own, you're bought with a price. Yeah, your body's yeah. a temple. Yeah. yeah, glorify God in your body. Yeah. Um, what we do with our body matters. But, but the church, Yeah. the church is the, the haven, the place that we should be able to go where the air we breathe is different, where objective reality is taught and believed and where there is a community of people that we can gather together with and... and and be encouraged and uplifted and, and share these things in common and, and open scripture. And, and even when we're being pulled by the world, the church is a place that comes and pulls us back and says, I know it looks tempting and I know you think it's going to be better, but, but it's not. And, and remember, remember, remember and, and roots us back in, in God's word and, and what it means to, to follow him. I think the the church is a, is a major part of God's solution to the problem. It is our place of refuge yeah. in a culture that is, has turned its back on God, a culture that has followed the path of Romans chapter 1 and turned its back on God, and the church is to be a place of refuge from that. I'm thankful for, for this place Me and too. for these people and for the capital C church that exists uh, across the globe. I mean, I was a little annoyed at you this morning also for saying you're all in and leaving us because I really want you to stay. <laughs> but it's a very good and valid point. We're all in this together. Well, um, I, 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 think some, I, I think some have said they want me to stay too, but they said you, don't, you can't take Blake with you if you're leaving. So, uh, Yeah, well, anyway. <laughs> if I was going to go with anyone, it would be you. You are my best friend, um, but I I appreciate the sentiment in that the church, the, yeah. the church really is the, the, the solution. The church is the place. This is where we are going to provide a place of refuge for those who are seeking truth, whether it's in Abilene or Tennessee or across the world. Right. And, and it is important that we hold fast to this. Um, and I think that it's important for those who are struggling with this to be engaged with, with members of the church so that we can continually be a voice that, that speaks truth to the situation. I think so. I think this is a city of refuge. I think this should be an embassy of faith. You come here, you have protection, you can ask questions, you can seek help. Uh, we'll take you where you're at. I'm not going to leave you there, 
right. but we're going to take you where you're at and we're going to help you and love on you as much as we can and and get you to a good place but this that should be this place i agree with you thanks for this discussion blake if you guys have questions you can ask uh, you can you know uh email us uh whatever you'd like to do um we can we can help you with uh, resources and things of that nature or uh, just sit with you and talk with you about anything that we've discussed tonight. And, of course, you'll be up next week, and then we'll close out this series the next week talking about um, just various things associated with right. sexuality. So thank you. If you have a need tonight that we can help you with, if uh, you're struggling uh, uh, just with anything, um, or if you'd like to put on Christ in baptism, begin a daily walk with God, whatever your need is, Kevin's got a song for us. Uh, if you would come while we stand and while we sing.